0: Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and wellbeing and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Humanly. My name is Daniel Reuters. And today I'm joined by holistic dentist Dr. David Cowhig. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cowhig. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you, Daniel, for inviting me.
0: Not a problem. It's so nice to have you here. Um, the reason why I invited you onto the podcast was that uh, in my practice over the years in Brisbane, um, I've had many clinicians actually recommending your services. I needed some to recommend my clients and patients to a good holistic dentist and your name came up and um, I was referring many clients to you and I heard really good things about you and it's um, yeah, really wonderful to be able to speak with you today. So thank you for giving up your time to come and speak with me.
1: Look, thank you for all those referrals. Um, I hope I've been helpful along the way. I mean, we've been, I've been in Brisbane for 22 years now. So I had a practice in the city for 10 years, um, which was called Queensland Holistic Dental. And then we rebranded and moved to the Gap 12 years ago uh, and we've been dental wellness for 12 years and uh, it's been working well.
0: And you weren't always in Australia, were you? You actually did your training over at King's College in London, is that right? I
1: did, yes, yeah. And then I worked in London for 10 years Um First of all, in the hospital system, doing oral surgery and uh, um, some periodontal, uh, six months of periodontal um, department. Uh, and then after that, working in practices, um, a little bit of national health service, but mainly independent private practices, uh, where I got exposed a little bit to a practice I was working in, in Crobra on the top of the South Downs, uh, to mercury-free holistic dentistry and um, uh, that just opened my eyes a little bit and at the same time I was um, planning to move over to Australia um, and when I came over here uh, I was looking to buy a practice but I also had an opportunity to do a, a fellowship in nutritional and environmental medicine with Acne. Um and the two things just tied in perfectly uh, and I decided that my practice was going to be run with these philosophies integrated throughout. So um, along the way, I've incorporated a number of different principles that uh, are purely focused on the oral health of my patients.
0: And was there anything similar to that over in London with um, Acnem and holistic dentistry? Or do you uh, find that it's a little bit um, <clears throat> more widespread here in Australia or...?
1: I uh, know it's uh, it was very limited in England as well. There was uh, some small groups, and there still are some small groups of like-minded practitioners who were were looking a little bit beyond uh, what was taught in the dental school and uh, incorporating some integrated practices, um, working with different integrated practitioners. But I mean, the word naturopath wasn't in the yellow pages uh, when I was in England it just the word didn't ex- didn't exist uh so you can see how when i came over here the, it was very very different um but still the dental side of things um there weren't many holistic or holistically minded dentists uh in in australia as well
0: yeah interesting what actually got you first interested in holistic dentistry
1: well uh i think Maybe I had a test one time um, of a heavy metal test. Somebody suggested because I was a dentist that I have a heavy metal test and I, um, I was shown to have a high level of mercury and a high level of lead in my system, um, which the two go together and magnify each other. Uh, so I spent some time doing uh, natural chelation pro- um, processes and really my lifestyle from then on uh, has... Um, Reduce that markedly and continues to uh, continue to work on that to continue um, reducing that that load that I had from working as a dentist in England initially and actually having amalgam in my own mouth, having gold in my mouth, having a combination of different metals it all uh, had an effect on me uh, and that made me realize that there was a different way of working and I wanted, I felt passionate. I found a passion about learning about all the different aspects of how I could provide a service that didn't involve this, that optimized the patient's health, optimized my health, optimized my staff's health, Um, and it's just gone from there really.
0: And for most people that are listening, I'm sure they're familiar with what a holistic dentist is, but there probably are, Some clinicians who may not be familiar with that term. So, would you be able to explain what a holistic dentist is, and um, you know what the sort of main principles are uh, behind their practice?
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, the word holistic is pandered around quite a bit now. There's a lot of uh, practitioners calling themselves holistic um, as a marketing tool, really. So, it is important to sort of understand the principles of accepting that what's in your mouth and the structure and architecture of your mouth can have an impact on your health and also your health can have a marked impact on your mouth. So, I mean, that's the most simplistic way of working with it. So uh, your mouth can have an effect on your digestion, your effect on breathing, sleeping, um, pain, uh, toxicity, um, inflammation, there's a whole range of things that your mouth can affect your body and becoming and it's becoming more and more clear that it it is affecting them. It's being partly responsible for most chronic illnesses today. So it's an accept, acceptance of that. Um, so when you go to a holistic dentist, they're not just looking at your teeth, they're looking at the whole package of not only your history, from when you were young to um, how your jaw and how your mouth has developed when you were young to how you're eating, sleeping, breathing, functioning without pain today, and consequences to all those things, to how healthy your teeth are, how healthy your gums are, and then consequences of that having that effect on your health. So it's it can be quite complicated, but I think the simplistic version would be what's in your mouth has an effect on your health and your health and lifestyle has an effect on your mouth.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting um, what you're saying there because a lot of people may be unaware that their oral health can be reflective of the health of the rest of their body. And also if you have poor oral health, there's a lot of other associations there with various other diseases and it brings my mind to um, the work by Western a price and um, his studies looking at oral health in um, like tribal communities and he found that individuals who had a uh, sort of more traditional uh, type diet had incredibly healthy teeth and uh, you know there wasn't a, a dentist to be seen in any of these yeah. tribes yeah so it really does come down to what you're being exposed to, not just in your diet, but in your environment as well.
1: And they were all different regions. That Some of them were South Pacific, um, at, whereas some of them were in, I think, the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, and some were in um, Eskimos. Uh, so they all had different diets, but all traditional diets, and the development of their jaw was perfect. Their teeth were, were dirty, but when they cleaned them, there was no tooth decay, there was no gum disease, they had perfect function of their jaw um, without, you know, without trying really. So uh, there was a, a key of nature and nutrition and how it optimizes the development of the, the jaw, the development of um, the whole respiratory system and the digestive system that seems to be optimized with that traditional diet.
0: So if we were to compare the current Australian population to those. Um, tribes that were eating a more traditional type diet. What's the oral health like here in Australia? Is it, is it um, up to scratch or is there still a lot of work to be done in improving people's oral health here?
1: Look, uh, you know, I come from, I mean, my practice is in Brisbane, so I'm, a, I'm only seeing Brisbane. There are a lot of dentists who work um, in distant communities that the uh, socioeconomic situation then means that the diet of, of these pe- of the children and the adults is, uh, is not as good. there's more sugar involved, there's more processed foods, and then they're at a high risk of, of dental issues. Um, but you know, having come from England, uh, where there isn't a real appreciation of, of uh, in general of the importance of dental health. Um, Australia is much better than England. Um, there's a lot of people who want to have a nice smile. They they want to have a healthy mouth, um, but there are still some restrictions. Obviously, the diet in Australia is far superior. You know the 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 meat is good quality. The uh, all of the food groups are all really uh, of good quality, but then there's the um, the, the McDonald's and the, uh, the fizzy drinks, they're the sort of things that are really causing problems with the mouth, um, with the high sugar content and the high acid content and the processed food. So so really, uh, it's, it's, um, I see a lot of patients who are very committed to health. So in general, the majority of them have actually got fairly good teeth.
0: That's really good to hear. And when I originally um, got in contact with you, you were mentioning uh, a thing called oral fitness and I was like, oh, what's what's this? I've never heard of this before. I was really excited to learn a little bit more about this. Um, and you know, to my understanding, oral fitness is like an acronym. So each of those letters of fitness actually have a, a meaning um, behind them and to my understanding, that's sort of how you how you align your uh, practice. So, are you able to speak a little bit more about sure. sure the overarching elements of oral fitness, and then we can get into the more finer details of what each of those letters mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, um, it because I've been working in this field for over twenty years. I've uh, I sat back and really thought, what are the priorities? What are the priorities that um, that I deal with every day? And really, uh, I played around with the, the the systems that we use and uh, came up with the acronym for the Oral Fitness Plan. It was designed initially, uh, I was doing a lecture to a group of doctors with A5M, the anti-aging uh, conference in Melbourne. Uh, and it was a way of actually showing integrated practitioners uh, a simple way of thinking about the implications of oral health when they're devising a treatment plan for their patients. So, um, but it could also be incorporated in a way of actually, you asked me about holistic dentistry. Most dentists don't understand what holistic dentistry is. They just think it's all, you know, um, it's not serious dentistry. Whereas this oral fitness plan gives them a an outline of all of the aspects of holistic dentistry that are taken seriously, um, which achieve a healthy, um, happy patient, which is the basis of a successful dental practice, really. So, um, so the oral fitness—it's an acronym. <clears throat> the F is really for function—the function of the jaw. There's a lot of functional medicine and functional dentists about, but the function of the jaw is such—is something we take for granted. Um, and yet if things go wrong with the function of the jaw, it leads to a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort and a lot of complications, which leads you with a into the chiropractor's office or the osteopath's office because something's going wrong with the jaw. So, uh, the other, um, F, the other F stands for the flora, which is the oral microbiome and the balance of the oral microbiome, uh, is so important so that the P the pH of your saliva that bathes the teeth is in a a, uh, a neutral situation so that the oral microbiome is balanced. So that's, we'll talk more about that later. Um, the I is for inflammation and infection. Now, inflammation is referring to not only gum disease, which is a disease that is prevalent in probably over sixty or seventy percent of the population, um, and yet it doesn't hurt. So nobody's aware that they they unless their you know, their gums bleed, but they don't really appreciate it as a a disease that can cause systemic issues. Um, I didn't realise that that you can have
0: inflammation in the gums and it's um, not painful.
1: Well, no, I mean your gums. If you brush your teeth, if you have gingivitis, which is the early sign which is a a reversible sign, then if you brush your teeth or if you floss and your gums bleed, then you've got a problem. I mean, the the soft tissues in your mouth uh, in between the teeth and around the teeth are about the same surface area as the palm of your hand. Now, if when you shook somebody's hand, your palm of your hand bled, well, you would expect that that would have some sort of effect on your whole body because it would it would be angry, it would be sore, and your lymph nodes would probably be up in your armpit because it would be so sore. So you imagine that in your mouth. If your gums are bleeding, your body's reacting to that all the time. But when it progresses, and if it's if nothing's done about it and it progresses to gum disease or periodontal disease, it often doesn't hurt, and yet there are an accumulation of really nasty anaerobic bacteria that can be linked to a lot of chronic illnesses, and more and more studies are showing the links with these bacteria and major major illnesses, which we, again we 'll talk about a little bit later and then the yeah absolutely, and then the infection is a progression from the inflammation, where periodontal disease often leads to infections in the mouth, so it 's a systemic infection, but then you've also got infections from potential Partially erupted wisdom teeth that are constantly a source of bacteria in the mouth, affecting the oral microbiome. Um, and then there's root canal treatment, there's root or dead teeth. So if you have a dead tooth, then it's a dead thing in the body and your body will be fighting it. But different bacteria grow on dead things and those bacteria cause a systemic problem as well. So if there's any infections underneath any root canal treated teeth, then that again has a potential challenge on the whole body so they're, they're the sort of the the root instead of talking about um, <clears throat> root canals we talk about infections we talk about inflammation and we want to address that then the T is for toxicity which obviously we talked you talked about amalgam and your patients Um but the mouth, dentistry has generally used a lot of different metals in the mouth. We They're often using uh, amalgam, which is 50% mercury, 30% silver, and then some tin and copper. Uh, so there's a combination metal, uh, which unfortunately will release small amounts of mercury all the time when it's heated, when it's chewed on. Um, but then there's titanium, there's gold, there's... Titanium alloys, so there's a combination of metals in the mouth that can create a little battery, uh, and there's a I think called galvanism, electrogalvanism. Which the more potential between the teeth, the more risk that mercury, again, increases release from the amalgams, which then obviously can potentially cause problems. <clears throat> so. There's a number of different metals and different things in dentistry uh, that have a potential for toxicity. Even things like stainless steel, a lot of women, that's nickel, which uh, a lot of women are very sensitive to nickel. So if they have an orthodontic band that's nickel um, and then another metal is put in the mouth, then there's just potential for for issues which we want to eliminate as much as possible and try and create a metal-free mouth. So that's the.
0: Sorry? Sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to ask Is that something that you assess your patients for in your practice, or do you um, refer on for someone else to investigate heavy metals and toxins in the body?
1: Yeah, look, uh, we don't do any heavy metal testing. I think that's that's stepping out of the realm of dentistry. Uh, That's where we work in a team with integrated practitioners and naturopaths who can do those tests and using. Things like uh, the Quicksilver tests and the, a, a number of different uh, chelation challenge tests. They're the sort of things that are outside the dental field that then we'd work together and put a plan together to safely address these issues. So, uh, which again, we'll, we'll get to, uh, we'll come back to in more detail in a moment. <clears throat> and then the. So end, the- sorry. No, that's the T so yeah the n yeah the, the n T. is uh nutrition is uh the importance of nutrition from you know from when you're developing in the womb and the nutrition of the mother to uh all the way from birth until death really it's uh you know it has an effect on uh, the development of your 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 jaw your mouth your um, your soft tissues your tonsils your adenoids uh, which all affect your, um, your breathing, your sleeping, um, your, the development as Weston Price found, the development of the jaw, um, if there's nutritional deficiencies, uh, and then when we're trying to optimize patient's health, when they have maybe gum disease, then we need to support the system with nutritional products that can support and reduce inflammation, but also looking at, um, nutrigenomic products that actually will down-regulate their propensity for inflammation. Um, Things like baby broccoli sprout and things like this that uh, will will influence their level of inflammation as well as us giving the treatment, uh, it complements. And then obviously there's the support nutrition for people who um, are planning to have their amalgams out or planning to have a dental implant or planning to have any dental procedure. Uh, There's a nutritional program really that would, would benefit them as well as the treatment. So that's, um, that's the, the nutritional side. Uh, the E is not, it, it's, it stands for the E, nose and throat, E-N-T. Now that's not dental, but it has a massive impact on the oral health um, because if you have any nasal obstruction, if you can't breathe through your nose, you develop a mouth breathing habit from an early age so if you have those enlarged tonsils or adenoids, then the mouth breathing has an effect on the development of the jaw and the architecture of the jaw from, from then on. So, uh, and that has an ongoing effect throughout your life. So in working with an ENT uh, specialist to not only assess in everyone the ability uh, to breathe through your nose, has an impact the the less mouth breathing, the more nose breathing, the better health really. Uh, the better oral health because your mouth doesn't dry out, you don't snore at night, you don't have a risk of sleep apnea um, and uh, if you don't if your mouth doesn't dry out, you're less prone to gum disease, you're less prone to tooth decay. Uh, so it has a big effect. So if somebody is mouth breathing, then they are prone to tooth decay. They are prone to gum disease, but they're also prone to their whole nervous system being heightened, which then may make them more sensitive to different things like mercury and other aspects of dentistry. So that's where the ENT factor comes in. Um, The S is for sleep. And again, the importance of sleep with the mouth. I mean, we are... um, a very fortunate profession that we see our patients regularly. I mean, they come in every six months, we get to see them, we get to look at their airway and ask them questions about snoring and ask them questions and see the signs that potential that they've got a sleep issue. Most of the signs are in the mouth. <clears throat> they may have signs of acidic erosion, or they may have reflux, uh, which is the reflux and sleep apnea are very much uh, linked together. So we can see signs of this acidic uh, attack on the teeth uh, and soft tissue changes in the side of the tongue and in the cheeks and breaking teeth as well. So if we can address the sleep issues um, with better nasal breathing, with uh, something in them put in the mouth that protects their teeth, but also at the same time, improves their ability to breathe through their nose, reduces their resistance in their nose so that they sleep deeper so they can get to that deep healing sleep so that all of the supplements that we give them will will work and that they can actually detox and heal um, and rest. That is part of, that's a major part of the practice. And then the last S is, uh, is a smile, really. It's uh, the aesthetics, you know, a beautiful smile is uh, something that's a gift, and when you smile at someone, it's it, you know, it doesn't cost anything, but it's a real gift to someone. And if you, um, you know, if you want a beautiful smile, a beautiful natural smile, then we can achieve that with modern day dentistry.
0: <laughs> so there's so much to dentistry that I didn't realise, and that. Um, fitness acronym, as you said before, it really does perfectly encompass uh, all of those um, facets of dentistry that many other clinicians and practitioners may not realize. So that was something that you've developed. And um, are there any other practitioners now who are using this system or is it um, solely something <coughs> that you...
1: Look, uh, you know, some people have uh, have looked at it, but really it's something that I've come... I've spoken about with um, with ACNEM, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. We're uh, just about to do a, an educational lecture series on the importance of oral health for integrated doctors. Um, but as far as uh, transferring that over to the dental world, I think it's, uh, I mean, that's why I'm here really. It's uh, uh, putting the information out there, which is understandable, it's, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense and it has a good structure. That really, it's very hard to be critical of it because um, all of those aspects need to be taken into account for a healthy patient, especially in this day and age. With you know, the importance of of health in general um, ha- has been highlighted due, through this COVID business, uh, especially oral health. And the more we look at how the oral health can implicate your uh risk factors for chronic illness it um the it, i think it's time that the oral systemic health part of dentistry uh takes off into another department of dentistry
0: now with the um Fitness acronym or protocol is this something that you work like if you had a new client come into your practice, yeah, would you basically work with them over time on each one of these steps, or do you sort of address them all in in one go or how does it how does it work for a, a patient who would come into your clinic?
1: look I, I think a lot of the patients who come to see me I like ones that you had referred have said I need to get my amalgams removed um Now, I would say that, um, if that person is not sleeping well, if they have a nasal obstruction and they're, they're already stressed, then taking their amalgams out, no matter how safely, could potentially still cause problems. So, um, the, the way that we would assess it is first of all, assess, ask simple questions about their sleep and their ability to breathe through their nose. You know, often people say, oh, no, I sleep fine. And then you ask them, well, do you wake up? Do you wake up more than once in the night and have to go to the bathroom? And they say, well, two or three times. And that means their whole system, because of what's going on at night, is not getting a chance to recover. So they're not getting to that deep level of sleep. So their sympathetic nervous system, their fight or fright system is being turned on. And when that's being turned on, there's a process of clenching of your teeth, which then often uh, makes things even worse when they're clenching their teeth. So their body will adapt to try and optimize their airway. And the only way of doing that is sliding their jaw forward, which then wears the front teeth. So people, so their front teeth get shorter. So, all of those aspects. Um, so if we see people who have got shortened front teeth and they know that they clench their teeth, well then we, we there's a good indication that they have an airway issue and they have a breathing issue at night. And that's probably the priority to try and work with, maybe to um, talk to them about training to breathe through their nose, maybe visit a ear, nose and throat specialist to check that there's no deviated septum, there's no obstruction, uh, and then do some exercises so that you can teach them how to breathe through their nose, um, potentially with maybe some sort of splint in their mouth that opens their bite and allows their tongue to be in a better position so that they can breathe better. So that's where the use of splints and soft soft mouth guards uh, can benefit the sleep and the breathing, which then allows the patient to um, to sleep better, to recover, to absorb the supplements that they're taking from a naturopath or who, from whoever. Um, and then we're in a better position to say, okay, now we can work out, work and work a plan of safely removing the amalgam fillings, for example, and replace them with a, um, a strong white either resin, which is a BizGMA free resin. Uh, or a ceramic filling, or a ceramic crown, or something ceramic, but no metal. Um, and we use a, a SMART protocol, and we talk about how the SMART protocol is the safe mercury amalgam removal technique that's from um, America. The International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology have devised a, a SMART protocol, which uh, you get certified to, uh, to follow the guidelines, where we protect the patient, we protect the the dentist, we protect the staff. Um, We make sure that when we, we isolate the teeth we're working on so no bits of the filling go down the patient's throat. We put a nose piece on the patient so they're breathing oxygen while we're carefully and quickly removing the mercury filling. And there's a high suction taking away the large pieces and all of the pieces of mercury. Also, there's a filter close by to the working surface that's sucking any potential mercury vapor that may be created away from the working surface into a mercury filter. So, there's quite a uh, an integral a. a uh, it's not complicated, but it's structured way of actually putting that patient through that process uh, in a methodical way. But I w- we wouldn't jump into that straight away unless they were breathing well and sleeping well and nutritionally were supported. Um, but the other aspect, uh, we would always suggest a visit with the hygienist to actually address the inflammation, to, uh, to address that gingivitis or the uh, to make sure that you don't have any periodontal disease because of the aspects of systemic inflammation and risk of systemic infection from that process as well. So. In a simple form, making sure they're breathing and sleeping well, see the hygienist so that they address the um, the gingival health, address the support around the teeth, and then in a methodical way optimize the rest of the mouth structurally first by carefully removing any mercury amalgam after the integrated practitioners done some tests and shown uh, there's a reason to do that um, and if the patient wants to have them electively removed, then we safely do that and we replace it with something, uh, that's strong, that's white. And then after that, that would be the time then to look at the cosmetic side because modern day dentistry, you know, if somebody wants a beautiful smile as well as a healthy, healthy mouth, then, you know, there's lots of possibilities with, um, the digital, smile designs that we do that uh, we can mock up exactly what the patient wants and then we can duplicate it in the mouth with a very fine porcelain veneers or uh, or whatever they want really so
0: that's i was just going to say it's fascinating about that smart protocol that you mentioned uh, many years ago just thinking back now i it was probably whilst i was studying i did have a amalgam filling removed by my dentist. And I remember asking them, um, you know, is there a is there a safe way to do this? And they said, oh, not really. We'll just put the suction next to the filling as we're drilling it out. And that's fine. But I then learned um, a few years later that potentially there can be like a gas or something produced from the mercury while you're drilling it. And you could potentially um, um, inhale that substance. So is that that smart protocol trying to avoid absolutely. Those I mean risks.
1: No, I mean, when you touch a, a a silver mercury amalgam filling, there's a huge vapor mercury vapor released that is not only inhaled but it's absorbed through the mucosa into the body. So that's really the key um to protecting not just the patient from that, which obviously are using, uh, a thing called a dental dam, which is a, a latex-free nitrile sheath that isolates the tooth so nothing goes down the back of the throat. So all of the mucosa is isolated away from the tooth, um, and the nose piece is protecting the patient from breathing any vapor, but also the it's called an IQ Air. It's um, a mercury filter uh, which sucks a strong suction Of air, like a big vacuum cleaner really close to the working surface uh, that sucks that vapor away from that working surface into a mercury filter. And the dentist and the nurse are actually wearing proper industrial masks with mercury filters on either side of the mask um, so that we're not being exposed. As I said before, I knew none of this when I was working and training and having amalgam put in my own mouth and putting amalgam in and being exposed massively when I'm cutting it out as well, my levels were high and everyone is at risk. No one is is, uh, impervious to the effects of mercury, unfortunately.
0: So that's another really interesting point when you think about holistic dentistry. It's not just about the patient. It's also about the dentist and the, the dental nurses who are performing these procedures protecting them as well i've never really even considered that before that's fascinating well
1: look the dental nurse has been exposed far more than i mean i would say far more than the dentist because in the past they actually used to mix the mercury amalgam with a little cloth in their fingers so they would get huge amounts of exposure of mercury which has been shown to not only affect their fertility but then their next generation as well so it has uh, wow. it has a massive impact on the uh, on women's health um and now really because we know these things you know we need to be protecting all of our staff um and especially all our female dentists really they you know they are at, um at risk there's more and more women i mean dentistry is a wonderful profession where there's a 50-50 um male to female uh, ratio, I, I believe. And, uh, but the women are really susceptible to the effects of mercury. And if they have uh, poor poor epigenetics, their genetic expressions are weak and they can't protect themselves, then they have issues um, throughout their life potentially. So going back to that um, process, it's really a responsibility to protect The staff members protect the dentist and protect the patient. I mean, the the FDA have just um, a couple of months ago changed their stance on mercury, and they're saying that mercury should not be uh, put in any pregnant women, any woman who might be wanting to get pregnant, which pretty much means any woman who's of fertile age, um, any uh, person with kidney issues, uh, any person who has uh, a risk factor for sensitivity to mercury, uh, and anyone who has uh, pre-existing conditions of a neurological illness, whether it be Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. So in effect, um, as a dentist, we should be doing epigenetic tests on our patients to make sure that they're not, at risk of all of the alzheimer's uh, and all of the neurological issues that they can deal with um, heavy metals they can produce glutathione and you know and we should be checking for kidney function as well before we remove an amalgam so when you when you start looking at what the FDA are now saying that uh, we still shouldn't be removing amalgams electively, I tend to agree. As if there's no smart protocol used and if an integrated practitioner or a nutritional guidance isn't used, um, I think the patient will be exposed quite markedly. So um, it's certainly, that's where there's, you know, there needs to be almost a paradigm shift in in the dental field, which is where the oral fitness plan may come in. Who knows?
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like a very comprehensive um protocol and i'm just thinking now i've actually got a mercury filling in my mouth i'm thinking geez do i actually need to go and and um have this out but if people do have them the fda is saying it's okay to leave them
1: well uh you know i the fda are in a position they've they've heard the evidence and now they are um trying to deal with, you know, looking at the masses of, in the world uh, um, um, the safest way of dealing with it. So uh, I, I think in some ways, if the smart protocol's not used, then optimizing nutrition, optimizing gut health, optimizing, uh, again, breathing, sleeping, all those aspects yeah. uh, become a priority if you're leaving that filling in your mouth.
0: Yeah, fascinating. So much to think about there. Uh, There was a few other things as well, Dr. Cowheg, that I was contemplating whilst you were describing the fitness protocol. And one of those was thinking back to when Weston A. Price was doing his work and finding that um, a lot of the people he was looking at had quite good structure with their teeth. They seemed to be quite straight. And as you mentioned, they were just a bit dirty and they just need to get cleaned up. What then is the thing that's causing people's teeth these days to become so crooked or to lose structure in their jaw? Um, is it our diet? Is there something else potentially affecting the, the structure of the mouth?
1: Well, look, uh, certainly uh, diet plays a major role. I mean, uh, Western A. Price talked about uh, Activator X which uh, he didn't really know what it was, but it seemed to be an essential part. Um, and it was it's actually vitamin K2, which you get from uh, things like butter, uh, organic butter, a um, very good source. Uh, he was really talking about the importance of fat-soluble vitamins, the vitamin A, D, K2, which he called Activate X, and vitamin E, and how important they were in the development of the jaw and development of the body really. Uh, But I think also modern day is exposed to a lot of toxins uh, that the body has to deal with, whether from a young age uh, or dietary allergies, the different foods that people are eating, that their bodies are reacting to. Um, Tonsils and adenoids uh, are becoming more inflamed in more more children which then stops them from being able to breathe gently through their nose, especially at night, because their airway is obstructed in their nose, because it's just, there's a blockage. And what that means is you develop a a, a means of survival, really, where your tongue sits down on your bottom teeth as they're developing, and you mouth breathe. So as your tongue is sitting on your bottom teeth and your mouth breathing, there's no force going upwards, <clears throat> upwards towards the roof of your mouth. So there's, um, the muscles on the outside of your cheeks are still developing and that, so there's a force inwards. So instead of having a big, broad, developed jaw, like you see in Samoa and Tonga and these beautiful big smiles of these, um, genetically gifted people, um, the the muscles are push the the jaw, so instead of that steep barn, it becomes a a steep cathedral roof. And if that gets dramatically worse, then it it almost gets like a V-shaped. The whole arch becomes a V-shaped. Now, your lower jaw is one bone that just tracks into whatever's on the top of the mouth. So if you have a smaller upper jaw, your lower jaw will get tracked into that. So your tongue gets trapped into a smaller space. So then when you lie down on your back and you fall asleep, you, uh, you're you even worse. Your body is under more stress, and then you push your jaw forward for, uh, to actually open your airway. So there are those forces that are having an impact on how the jaw is developing as much as the nutritional side as well. But we need the nutrition. We need the good food with no toxins with no chemicals in it that our bodies are reacting to. Uh, so it's a multi multifaceted reason why now our jaws are getting uh, smaller and our faces are getting longer um, because of the nutritional side. But there's a genetic side as well that obviously if, you're, if your parents um, have thin structured jaws, then it's more likely you're going to have that too. But where did that come from? Is there an underlying allergy or underlying issue with the development of the jaw generational? Um, So I think that's where the Western price looked. They all had a high fat diet in those, uh, those native um, civilizations, Uh, high fat, um, not a lot of, um, of carbs at all. So, it's completely different to to the diet now.
0: Yeah, the war on fat, I think, has had very wide-reaching problems across a range of uh, aspects of health. And, yeah, we think back to, you know, 100 years ago and people were eating butter and lard and cream and eggs and lots of organ meats. Yeah. They were getting all of these fats in their diet, and now it's been demonized, it's been you know, labelled as the thing that makes us unhealthy and all of a sudden we're getting heart disease and um, all these other conditions that are associated with the high-carbohydrate diet.
1: And unfortunately, inflammation, it creating an inflammatory process which as dentists we're seeing every day. We're seeing the, the children with bleeding gums. We're seeing, you know, adults uh, whose diets may not be suitable for them but they're, they're, they're cutting out important foods out of their diet. Uh, and they're getting inflammation in the mouth and they're more of risk of, um, of gum disease, more risk of the, the saliva in their mouth becoming more acidic, so they're more risk of tooth decay. Uh, so it has an ongoing effect or, um, in an adult's mouth as well.
0: What about uh, this might sound like a weird question. What about eating hard, foods so if we think back to maybe 100 200 300 years ago people would be eating um nuts and seeds and grains and think like many things that aren't highly processed into a powder or something that's easily digestible so people had to physically chew down on these harder type foods and that may have put like a physical force through the jaw with that um, have an impact on the, how the jaw and teeth um, develop as well.
1: I think if it did, it would have been. I mean, your your teeth are probably touching for about two minutes in the day, normally from eating. Whereas at night, it's at night that there's hours where your teeth are together and you may be clenching or grinding. So there's a, the the forces at night, which then revert come back to the airways and the breathing aspect if there's a restriction, then there's going to be more clenching, more stress, and that has a bigger impact on stress on the teeth um, and bigger impact on the development of that uh, that architecture as well.
0: And you were mentioning about the pH of the mouth. So is this something that people should be doing at home, like testing their salivary pH to see if it is as close to neutral as possible. And if it's either way, it could be then having a detrimental uh, impact on their oral health.
1: Look, when Again, when we see patients um, for their six-monthly checkup or on an initial consultation, one of the first things after asking about sleep and breathing and their diet and <clears throat> is um, doing a little saliva pH test. And seeing what I mean, they may be nervous. I mean, a lot of patients when they lie down at the dentist, they're nervous, so that will have an impact on on their saliva, the the amount of saliva and their the pH of their saliva. So it's just a guide to see what they. We instruct them not to have anything to eat or drink for two hours unless they're diabetic um, before they come in for that initial consultation, so that we can we can see what their resting saliva pH is. Now, ideally, it ranges from six to 6.8 to seven, um, which, if somebody is in that range, we know generally that they're going to be less prone to tooth decay. They're going to be less prone to gum disease. Um, Their digestive system is probably working as, you know, um, pretty well because the mouth is the top of that digestive system. So, um, whereas if that saliva at rest is five, so that's a uh, hundred times more acidic than seven. Uh, then there's often enamel missing on the teeth because of erosion. There's uh, they may have some signs of gum disease. They may there may be just imbalances in the mouth that we can see, uh, and their their risk for tooth decay, their risk for um, for dental problems is higher. So, but. Taking your saliva pH, uh, it probably will change all through the day depending on how you feel as much as uh, have you just eaten, have you just brushed your teeth. Um, A lot of people use lemon water uh, to try Mm. and alkaline their system. It's a very uh, common uh, practice for the natural health to optimize alkalinity by putting an acid in the mouth. Now... Mm we see a lot of detrimental effects from that habit, um, mainly because it may have a positive effect on the whole, uh, system and in whether it stimulates the, the parasympathetic, the vagus nerve, the back of the tongue, um, by putting an acid in the mouth and the body buffering that very, very quickly. But the biofilm that sits over the teeth and in between the teeth, um, And in between all your expensive fillings and crowns and inlays and uh, amalgam fillings where there's bacteria maybe trapping, that area stays 10,000 times more acidic for up to three to four hours because the pH of that lemon water is around three. So if you're doing that every day and you're not changing and making a concerted effort to alkaline your mouth straight away afterwards with either a bicarb of soda solution that's got a pH of 12, 11 or 12, and just bathe your mouth with it, then you're at risk of weakening all the structures, especially the enamel on your teeth. And then if you go and brush your teeth, the enamel will slowly disappear over the years because uh, it's got this acidic biofilm on it. So so that's a risk factor of lemon water that... uh, Again, we we say to patients, you know, if they insist on doing it, then using a bi just using water afterwards is not good enough. Uh, they need to actually alkaline their biofilm. Think about the salute the surface of all of their teeth. They need to try and take steps to alkaline it, and then do not brush your teeth for at least forty minutes. Hmm.
0: that's fascinating because so many people do recommend lemon juice in water yeah and and it has a great it, effect
1: it, and the people who get huge effect from it are often the mouth breathers who are stuck in that fight or fright system so that they're not sleeping well so they're not getting to the deep level of sleep so the whole digestive system has stopped working because that the dominance is in the sympathetic and not the parasympathetic and that stimulation of the parasympathetic gets your digestive system working so a lot of people are big fans of lemon water and apple cider vinegar for the reason that it gets them going. It gets all the systems working. Um, we tend to encourage people to do oil pulling instead. Uh, right. I mean, putting a, a flat teaspoon of coconut oil in your mouth and just sloshing it around, pulling it and drawing it in between your teeth. It has a benefit on changing that biofilm in between your teeth every day. So if there's anything stuck or if there's any bacteria it will just flush those areas. But more importantly, if you do it for 20 minutes, that's 20 minutes of you breathing through your nose, which again, stimulates that parasympathetic healing digestive system, the vagal tone, which, uh, so we find that the people who are the mouth breathers who get benefit from lemon water, get an even better response when they do coconut oil pulling regularly.
0: Says a lot for mouth breathing, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does. It it just puts the system in in high alert too much.
0: So would you then recommend – because I guess if people are trying to alkalize their system and they're going for the lemon juice, they could just drink the bicarb anyway. It's going to have less of an impact on their oral health. But I guess if they really want to drink that lemon juice – just swishing the like an oral rinse with the bicarb soda. Do you think that yeah, would no, be appropriate? I, I would
1: still say just rinse and spit um, because rinse for thirty seconds and then spit out. I uh, You know, hydrochloric acid is so important for gut function. I, alkalining it is is something that um, you know. I I'm I don't feel comfortable asking them to uh, to do that.
0: Sure. Yep. That makes sense. Um, the other thing, we're, we're sort of heading towards the uh, the hour, but I just wanted to briefly hear your thoughts on uh, root canals. And you mentioned that sometimes bacteria and things can get caught behind the root canal and also the fact that you've got dead tissue in the body and the body's um, obviously trying to react to that dead tissue. So, if you have a root canal, is this something that could negatively impact your health?
1: Look, the uh, the issue with root canal treatment is really, uh, again, comes back to the risk of infection. Uh, and if you've got an infection around a live tissue, then obviously if you've got an infection in your hand, then uh, there's different bacteria involved. But if there's a, if there's something dead in your body and it's infected, then there are different bacteria, bacterial strains that we're dealing with as well. Um, we suggest um, we have in our practice a, a cone beam x-ray machine, which is a uh, low radiation, high definition CT scan that actually gives us a three-dimensional image of all of the teeth and all of the roots of the teeth. And if there's any pathology or any infections at the end of any of those root canals or... Uh, any teeth that maybe not root canal, but maybe there's a dead tooth that has an infection that's not hurting, it will find the unseen really, <clears throat> and we can take steps to actually take seriously addressing that infection. Um, endodontics, or people, there are specialists who do root canal treatment. That's their job. Their job is to save teeth, um, and in in most cases, it saves the tooth. Um, but sometimes there's complications. But the risk of having a low-grade infection is always there. And what we tend to look at is look at the soft tissues around the tooth. Um, if, if somebody has inflammation or their gums are bleeding throughout their mouth and they have a, uh, some root canal treatment, treated teeth, address all of the rest of the gum health and often we find that everything else becomes perfect, but the gum around those teeth looks angry and inflamed and chronically inflamed all the time. And that's one of the signs that there's something going on. That body, the body is, uh, is inflamed around that tooth. So then that needs further investigation. Um, we can even do a little toxicity test to see are there any byproducts of anaerobic bacteria coming up through Uh, From the end of the tooth up the side of the gum and out of the gum, and we can test that, and we can test the levels of it. So, if a tooth, the gum is perfect around it, it's not hurting. The cone beam X ray shows that it's uh, it's got no problems whatsoever. Um, The patient's healthy, they're core, they're they're, um, they're strong, healthy people. Then we would say, look you know, keep keep doing what you're doing. Keep, uh, you know, make sure that you're breathing well, you're sleeping well, and all those other aspects we talked about. Um, but if somebody has uh, a weak immune system and they're chronically ill, then it's important to rule out that they haven't got an underlying infection, which isn't hurting, That's uh, that may be in their mouth. Uh, and that's where the advanced technology now can give us a clear view and then we can make an informed choice on what options there are um, as far as if that tooth needs to be removed, what are we going to replace it with? I mean, we um, place zirconia ceramic implants, which are totally metal free implants uh, that would replace a tooth and give you a, 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 a zirconia root of a, uh, instead of the roots of the teeth which then we would be able to put a a crown over the top to give you the tooth back. So there are ways of actually having one minute having an infected tooth that may not be hurting, but it may be potentially challenging you. There is a solution to actually remove that, remove the infection safely um, and place something that is functioning and looks like a perfect tooth again.
0: There is so much to dentistry I had no idea and it was amazing hearing you speak to all of these points in such great detail and I want to learn more and I could probably talk to you about this stuff for more uh, hours and hours more but um, as we reach the final stages of the podcast today dr. Kalkig I was just wondering if there's any final messages that you'd like to leave the listeners with, um, in regards to holistic dentistry or what you do or, um, any other general information or messages?
1: Well, I think, uh, dentists all and probably all feel that they are holistic dentists in some way. Uh, they're all trying to be as preventive as possible. Um, so, every dentist who's down the road and local to wherever you are, um, should be open to the concepts of having, um, uh, having a conversation about, um, these issues, really. Um, there are, you know, there are only a few or a handful of dentists who really grasp all of those aspects. Um, but I would say, that times are changing, and um, again, people are becoming more aware of their their health, so that you know you can 't avoid the fact that the oral health is playing a massive part in people 's general health and If we want a a preventive protocol for the world, then dentistry has to evolve into um a, a key component of that structure but as far as um, patients concerned the simple things like uh, seeing a hygienist seeing and seeing a dentist regularly seeing a hygienist look after your gum health maybe oil pull every day and see see what it feels like after you know ten days you'll notice the difference and then you'll hopefully continue from that um, look after the nutrition, you know, things like baby broccoli, vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D3, CoQ10. They're all, uh, nutritional things that will support everyone and support everyone in these, these COVID days as well. Um, and really, um, there is, there is, uh, if we can get that message out, then there's hope that, uh, dentistry will will change towards that and
0: i hope that um you know what we're doing here today does spread some of that message and i think the message that you've provided has been extremely powerful and i really appreciate your expertise on all the matters that we've discussed today it was such a pleasure speaking with you um i've still got literally another whole page of questions (laughs) That I don't want to ask you, but I'm I'm aware of the time, so um, maybe we'll be able to get you back uh, in the new year if time yeah, permits. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and- absolutely. I, I, you know, it's uh, you know I've been a dentist for thirty years. Uh, I know most of my colleagues were over dentistry after five years, uh, and I'm still passionate about the whole um, process, really, and how uh, how we can be a massive benefit to our patients' health, and what a privilege it is to see our patients and be able to have an influence on their long-term longevity, health, and beauty.
0: Dr. Cowhig, if any of the clinicians or practitioners listening today would like to get in contact with you or make a referral, uh, how do they get in contact with you? What's your website?
1: Uh, It's uh, dentalwellness.com.au. Uh,
0: fantastic. And we're we're oh, in sorry. the gap
1: we're in the gap in Brisbane. Uh one oh five six Waterworks Road in the Gap. But there's a contact sheet on our website. Um and probably that's the best way of uh contacting us. My my email is uh, David at dentalwellness.com dot au and I'd be happy to uh, uh talk to anyone. That's fantastic
0: and Yeah, once again, I appreciate your expertise and and the generosity with your time because I know that you have so much happening and um, yeah, you've got a very busy practice and yeah, any of the time that you're able to provide, um, I really do appreciate. So thank you so much for coming on the show and yeah, hopefully we can speak again, possibly um, in new year. Great. I look forward to it. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.